grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon, everybody. How's everyone doing today? Probably having lunch? I hope so. I'm having fun seeing no air conditioner. Got good audio today. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 35 strong up and down the state. And that means that if you have a paranormal issue that you would like, like us to look into, we can get to you in just about every city or county. All right. We have people everywhere. We're spread out like mice. But anyway, um, I want to welcome you here. Uh, you can visit our website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com or if you want to visit the, the paranormal team that is at, let me make an adjustment here on sound. If you want to visit the paranormal team that is at CaliforniaHaunts.org. So uh, you can check us out. If you need to get a hold of me, do it through it via CaliforniaHaunts.org or you can do it from the radio website, California Haunts Radio. Or you can do it from Facebook because I'm all on Facebook. And we also have California Haunts sites on Facebook as well. Hey, if you're watching from Facebook, be sure to follow if, if, if you like the show. We're always looking for followers. I forgot to push my other button, too. Look at that. Okay. All right. Um, let me get back in here. There we go. Get on the right buttons. Yeah. So uh, be sure to follow. If you're watching from, from uh, Twitch, be sure to follow because we're always looking for followers. And, again, if you're watching from YouTube, YouTube is a subscriber thing. So go ahead and subscribe. We have more than 250 videos over there, and they're all on varying topics. And I think you're, I think there's something there for everybody. So if you're interested in YouTube, go ahead and uh, subscribe over there. Our guest today, I'm really excited. He is probably one of the most famous ghost hunters and most famous. Well, I don't think we like to call ourselves ghost hunters anymore. I think it's paranormal investigators. But he has been around for a long time. I mean, I've been doing this for a while, you know, and uh, I've been doing this since, I believe... Probably 20, 2008, something like that. I've been doing this since. But this gentleman has been around for a long time, and it's always fun to talk to people like, like him because even, even after doing as much as I've done, you could always pick up stuff from, from the people that have been around for a while. You know, like the likes. In fact, I hold this man in such regard. I hold him in regard with John Zaffis and people like that that have been around, you know, for a while. We used to call ourselves moldy oldies. But anyway, I'm really excited to have him on, and I hope you are too. And we're going to be talking about uh, paranormal, of course, paranormal stuff. But, you know, um, the Mojave incident, I'm going to go back to that. And when, when I read that book the first time, I wasn't a ghost hunter. When I read it later on as a ghost hunter, I got to wondering about it. Because when people, after they had their abduction, if you guys remember, after they had their abduction, the aliens kept coming back, right? They kept, the aliens kept coming back. It's amazing how my S's are working today, huh? i got to get a windscreen for this position. There we go. It's amazing. Uh, anyway, the aliens kept coming back. and But what struck me with the whole thing with the aliens coming back was that it sounded like ghosts. It really sounded like ghosts. The description they had of them being able to walk through walls, uh, the room getting really, really cold, things like that. Things that people report all the time with paranormal experience, with, with just ghostly experiences. 
And I've always wondered about EVPs, right? Because EVPs, if you're an investigator, you know, EVPs seem like they come from another dimension altogether because, you know, you get your class A's, you know, once in a blue moon, but the rest of them, you know, sometimes sound like they're underwater, they sound mechanical, and they're always at a real low, low frequency, way buried down. So you have to, you have to bring them up. So I've always wondered if there was some kind of connection, you know, with with UFOs and, and aliens and, and what we're, we're perceiving as ghosts. So anyway, without further ado, let me get my guest on and we can start talking about it. Stephen, Stephen Vera, I hope I said his last name right. I'm horrible with last names. All right. Good morning. Well, good morning for me. <laughs> Hi, Charles. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to have you. Tell everybody about the your history because you go back a you go back quite a ways. Uh, I do, yes. Uh, my first investigation was 1983, so I think come next year, be 40 years in the field, and um, I've done a lot in that time, to say the truth. I mean, it started off obviously with various different types of investigations, usually of the paranormal sort. Um, and after doing about 15 years of that, I went on to do 16 years of corporate investigations of paranormal phenomena here in the UK, which were kept, uh, which were really for big corporate companies. So things were kept pretty quiet about them. Uh, and I mean, you know, talking about things like, um, you know, people wouldn't work, staff wouldn't work in late hours in certain areas or certain parts of the building became managerial issues. So. Uh, we would often deal with those things on a corporate level and providing documentation and that sort of thing to try and resolve for the clients uh, the best way uh, of approach without, without actually having so much media attention, which is what these companies didn't want. Uh, and I kind of crossed over then into the ufological field because, as you just said, Joel, it's, uh, there's a lot of things in the UFO field which fall under the paranormal. And, um, and, and since then, I've been working bridging these gaps, bridging the gaps between the UFO groups and the paranormal groups, as well as the cryptids on, on many occasions, especially here in the UK. And uh, I'm trying to enlighten people that, you know what, the reasons why we're not getting a full picture of trying to understand some of this phenomenon is because we're stuck in the confines of that subject. We have to look into other subjects to start getting those answers. And since we started doing that, uh, we, we are. We are slowly but surely getting some very interesting data coming back, which might suggest new areas of research, some conclusive information about some of the some of this phenomena, uh, and it's a new way forward, really, rather than being static for so many years trying to gather those answers. It's about moving forward now. What do we do? It's the 21st century. Surely we've got to get some more answers about this these various subjects. Uh, so since then, I, of course, I've done a lot of different work in, in different fields, a lot of investigations worldwide, uh, wrote a number of books, uh, lectured internationally everywhere. And, yeah, I just like to keep myself very busy and uh, always, always reaching for answers, always trying to find out what makes this phenomenon tick, where is it coming from, and how is it interacting with us, how old is it? Um, these are the most prominent questions that really do need answering. And... Uh, you know, with my effort and many other people's efforts around the world, we are slowly but surely starting to take steps forward. So that's interesting. Well, I understand. I, I, I had Keith Linder on my show the other night, and he said he, he, he emphasized I, I should ask you about the Bothell House. Oh, yes. 
And that was a very interesting investigation because the first thing is, is that we're on the other side of the wheelchair. So, you know, it, it, we don't just, you know, drop our hats and start uh, laying out a huge amount of experts to travel around the world. Um, however, you know, Keith was, um, you know, very sincere and we went backwards and forwards with Keith. And what was interesting was, is that we conducted a series of interviews over a period of time uh, to see if there was any changes in his story and how authentic it was. And we have a kind of a pointing system. And um, the scientific establishment of parapsychology here in the UK uh, was to was to kind of foot that banner, you know, in regarding the research uh, and the investigation. And after quite some time of talking with, uh, with with Mr. Linda, we decided to, yes, it did warrant some form of investigation. Uh, so not only once did we go there, but twice. And, um, and of course, we spent quite a bit of time there and we witnessed phenomena firsthand. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Keith had to move because I think it was just too much for him eventually. Uh, but it was remarkable. Some of the some of the data that we got back just from those two investigations carried out in Seattle was uh, was really pinnacle uh, as part of a paranormal investigation. Unfortunately, we weren't able to resolve uh, the phenomena, you know, from because some people really want these things to stop because it's like taking place in their homes. Um, we were unable. Um, which is uh, which is a shame, you know. It's very difficult to sort of put a stop to some things, um, and uh, unfortunately, Keith had to move. But we've we've stayed in contact uh, over the years, and uh, I'm aware of Keith, um, you know, distributing that information, which is fantastic because it is a very interesting story, and lots and lots of things went on. Do you think that whatever is there may may be connected to the land? I think absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of both, actually. I mean, I think, yes, it's definitely connected to the land. Um, I mean, we are talking a new build here, and we're talking maybe just one house within, I don't know, probably around about 70 houses on a brand new estate. I believe when we went there, it was only 10 years old or something like that, the property. And uh, and Keith and his partner were living in that, uh, in that property, I believe. And um, when we did our research, strangely enough, Keith's uh, house was the only property um, which stood upon an older one um, out of all the all the houses on the estate. So we thought, well, that was unusual. And to also taking into consideration that, um, you know, the, this was a Native American uh, location. And, of course, if you go back even further, you'll find that there was um, a very strong Irish connection in that location because early in the days, the Irish were brought over uh, in their troves and given plenty of jobs. Some of those jobs were to to make the land ready for construction and uh, and of course it grew and grew and that unfortunately went into areas where uh, the Native Americans were living and uh, sometimes there were skirmishes and war and people you know lose lost lives and uh, it's a terrible shame um, but some of these locations are seemingly um, built over some of these burial grounds and it's, it's very difficult because some of them are unmarked or not recognized and uh, and Keith's property might have actually been one of those locations because we know sort out throughout the area that that was the sort of thing that was happening uh, and even whilst we were there construction by companies will st were still taking place literally only a few miles away down the road uh, they were again still building new properties and we did discover that you know, sometimes when they do find sort of ancient bones 
uh, when they're actually you know digging for foundations is that really the, the tools go down for a very short period of time mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these bones are relocated to to other uh, grave sites which have been manufactured for these Native American uh, people and uh, it's, it is I have to admit it's a shame but it's almost impossible to know where uh, you know where these bell sites mammals are because the land has changed so much over the years um, and it's uh, it's a problem it is a problem and it's not very nice I understand that and nobody really wants to have a home which is built over a Native American site obviously but it does happen and I think in Keith's case I think not only was uh, was that a possible thing that was taking place, but there was also something else because the most of the reported phenomena there, uh, or should you say, recorded phenomena there, um, seemed to be um, a lot of Irish voices. You know, which was really interesting because you could actually hear the accent in the uh, in the in the recordings. Uh, and it was, the phenomenon was very intrusive across our cameras. And, of course, we didn't know that until we came back, started looking through all the video recordings, which we had hours and hours and hours of this stuff. And um, it was remarkable that what conversations were going on in the background when there's only myself and another investigator present, and uh, we're hearing all these, and, and they're communicating between each other in some cases. Yeah. And, and that was remarkable. And I'd, I'd never had so many uh, recordings uh, from phenomena caught across our camera systems from any single investigation ever. So it was certainly a, a fascinating investigation. Well, what about, because um, that seems kind of benign because, you know, because they're talking back and forth. What about the stuff that, that you know, the, 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 the Bible, you know, being burned and, and, and the ooze coming out of the walls? Did you guys have any conclusions on that at all? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, some type of oil substance was was seeping from the walls. It was a bit like frankincense, to be honest with you. But it's, um, you know, it was quite profound, and we don't know. We had no explanation for that. They were just seeping down the walls, and this happened not just on one, one occasion, but several and numerous different locations of the property. Um, and um, you know, when, when you mentioned about the Bibles, it was very, very interesting because. From our analysis, it didn't look like the Bible, which was placed on a shelf, mm -hmm. uh, of course there's a shelf above that shelf and, and so on, that it would completely almost combusted this Bible, um, but it not through um, the source of a flame. It looked that through analysis that it had been applied heat as opposed to a flame. Now, you know, Bibles are very, very thin pieces of paper. They're very combustible, of course, as well. Um, but what was most interesting is that the actual amount of damage to this particular Bible didn't affect the surroundings. It was uh, it was a bit like spontaneous human combustion. You know, it only em enveloped the item or the object, you know, in this case. And it didn't seem to char the wall. It didn't get any smoke damage or bits on the shelf above it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that's what was really, really interesting. Uh, and that didn't just happen on one occasion. There was a number of occasions when um, what you might refer to as incendiary effects took place uh, with these Bibles. That's it. That, that's interesting. Um, one of our sister teams in Washington had gone into the house as well to investigate because I know we had a few teams go in there. And yeah, the, yeah. there was a lot of it. There was stuff they couldn't explain that that went on in this house. I mean. God, it's, it's 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 like one of those. It's what I call a uh, an event waiting to happen. You know, I've, I've run into those cases here as well. Was I mean, you got if you got the Irish thing going on, 
you've got the Native American thing going on. And then you've got whatever else is this dark thing going on on top, on top of everything else. Were you Absolutely. able? Were you able to narrow down anything for the for, uh, for the Irish being there? I mean, like sometimes you can narrow down that that area was it was a particular place for for, for the Irish to be living. At a yeah. Time. Well, I mean, of course, obviously the most prominent recordings were through um, um, Irish people. You could right. tell by their accent. But not all of them were, but um, okay. a majority were. Um, and it's like the layers of an onion, I think. You know, you, you kind of, when you're in communication, ITC, instrumental transcommunication techniques, mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, you these things, um, you know, sometimes are very difficult to, to obtain. Um, but some of this phenomenon was really, you know, I mean, I'd have I've heard class A EVPs uh, on numerous occasions, but these were these was something else. I mean, this was uh, a very interactive, very interactive. In fact, um, on, on one occasion, a piece of I think a, a piece of equipment or bag uh, something was lost, and a communication was made. Um, to ask them where it was, and they told us where it was, and we found the answer. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, you know, but um, you know, it was just it was they were highly communicating, and they were regularly re um, um, over our recordings, even though we didn't know. I mean, not only do we have the, the normal environment being recorded, mm -hmm. but we were trying to video document everything whilst we were there. And it was a video documentation, which was literally, um, it was just so much stuff across it. You know, it was almost invasive. Um, and um, it was very interesting. There's a number of incidents, I, I recall, where we were setting up a task cam, which was a recording device. And um, there was only myself and another um, researcher there doing that setup. And across the video recording, which is, recording our setup you could hear somebody say oh it's a camera it's a camera <laughs> well it, it wasn't a camera but uh, but i have to ask you know, this this male voice that uh, you can clearly hear across the video say it's a camera it's a camera who's he referring to who's he talking to you know who's he saying this to right and um there was a there was some amazing things there was one on one occasion there was a set of flowers which were purchased and placed in a nice vase and we put recording voices around, uh, recording devices around this, and uh, we caught some very interesting uh, audible phenomena. There were two females that we would see. There were no females in the building, and uh, one female voice said, uh, "Who's are those flowers?" And the other voice, another voice, comes in and said, "That man bought them," <laughs> and it was just this is what the sort of stuff we were receiving. And we came back with over four hundred. Uh, class A um, uh, interactive voices, and it was just in, it was just incredible. It really was. I've only had that happen, I think, once on investigation, and I was it was funny because we were doing a hotel where there had been a house that had burned down, and in the middle of our conversation, it was like late at night, and, you know, and you're you're done, and and you're just BSing with with whoever's there, and we pick up these two male voices, and one says, "I'm burning up," and the other guy says, "I don't know why." That's it. That's it. That's exactly it. And we don't expect it. But you know, obviously, in some occasions, you're getting communications between themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes we were even there. The recording devices were left recording, but there was conversation picked up between themselves. There was a lot of things like that, which was very, very interesting. And it didn't just take place in one location of the property. It was throughout not 
the, the whole property and even the grounds surrounding the property. Um, so we we do believe, obviously, it was very um, geological or you know orientated the phenomena. Um, but the some of the things that were happening were very much like poltergeist type disturbances, um, because we've got a bit of both here. You've got the mix of the of what you might refer to as the very potent haunting phenomena, mm -hmm. but then just you know the ice on the cake is that all this poltergeist type stuff that was happening, and it happened even whilst we were there. So we we actually were privy to witness some of this thing. Well, I was going to ask you about that because he he you know he uh, is adamant about it being a poltergeist. But it's confusing because, like you say, there's a little bit of everything mixed in there. So what do you think? Well, I believe that actually what happened is, is that we are dealing with a location that is haunted. Right. Now, that's because, because of the geology of the land. But then taking into consideration uh, the people that moved in. Now, Keith is quite, uh, I wouldn't say, you know, he's, he's certainly sensitive. You know, he's certainly sensitive to the incident uh, of phenomena. And I think, obviously, because of the turmoil that uh, would be between him and his partner, uh, and just generally the upset of the haunting phenomena, what something else manifested in that house um, on top of the geological haunting. Mm -hmm. So it kind of you're trying to kind of traverse in that you had a bit of both. You know, you had these these um, very potent poltergeist incidents which were taking place from time to time, which stood out above more than anything else. Um, but intrinsically, I think we were dealing with a geological haunting. Um, and uh, those things can be very deep-rooted and they can go on for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, lucky for us, through research and, and with Keith's assistance, we were managed to ascertain information to show that it wasn't just happening, the haunting phenomenon whilst Keith was in that property. It was happening prior to him being in that property as well. So it was a troubled home. You know, Keith moved into a troubled home and uh, and things escalated. Uh, and, of course, then it, it started to um, react and demonstrations of poltergeist phenomena started to emerge. And that certainly caught his eye, caught his attention. And, uh, and he obviously wanted to express, you know, about how his living conditions were at that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, a, it's a fascinating case, to say the least. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about what I opened with uh, the UFO phenomenon. Right. Yeah. You have to investigate that. Tell me about that. Uh, well, I've investigated. You know, I mean, uh, I spent uh, a good 10 years in investigating the UFO phenomenon and some of the old mentors I talked to. Mm -hmm. In the early days, the 1980s, were telling me that uh, this is a very nuts and bolts craft. It's traveling the vast distances of space. It's uh, extraterrestrial in origin, and uh, they're coming here for one reason or another. Um, however, after doing about 10 years in research of the UFO phenomena and exhausting all the information I had, I wasn't really getting anywhere further. I was kind of just going around in circles, you know, hearing the same thing. Another photo and another video to add to the mountain, what we already have. Yes, we know there's a phenomena, uh, but what is it? You know, how long has it been here? What's it want? Is, do, are we perceiving it for what it really is? And um, as time went on, I realized that what my mentors had told me was far from the truth, but they wasn't aware of it at the time. Now we realize that we're dealing with something which is more than likely some type of interdimensional phenomena 
than it is extraterrestrial, such as just simply traveling the vast distances of space. I mean, of course, if we are dealing with some type of uh, civilization, which is light years ahead of us, then I'm sure they would have found a better way of traveling or traversing the uh, the universe because it, it just takes ridiculous lengths of time. Um, and of course, I realize that there's a lot of metaphysical phenomena taking place in UFOs. Uh, and when we looked down a list and started making a list about you know, looking at the parapsychological factors and paranormal and the UFO stuff, we kept coming up with the same things on either side. It was like, well, hang on a second. Could it be that this phenomenon just presents itself in different ways? You know, and some ways are in the paranormal sense because we've, come, we've termed them, we've termed, termed it that, uh, and some other UFO because we've termed it that. One thing is for sure that the UFO phenomena um, it goes back so, so far to the point where it probably was going on before um, we made historical documentation, you know? Um, I mean, we, we, I think the colleague tracked it back to about 700,000 BC to Botswana, you know? But, uh, and, but the only reason we don't know it goes back further from that is because there's no documentation to show it. So... Um, it is intrinsically as old as the paranormal phenomena and could be very terrestrial in nature. Um, we're thinking these things are coming from outer space. Well, don't get me wrong, you know, some things are seen, you know, in, in, around Earth's orbit, um, and, and that's for sure. But, you know, is that where they're really coming from? Or they're just, you know, they're just following our ventures, should we say, what we're doing in space and around the orbit of Earth. Um, the information that we have now gathered suggests that this phenomena, the UFO phenomena, might actually be more connected terrestrially to our planet rather than extraterrestrially. Um, as if they seem to be jumping through from one dimension to another. Sometimes mm -hmm. these objects are physical in nature, just as a, a, a just as a ghost can be physical in nature. Uh, sometimes they're apparitional, you know, they see, see through them. They don't leave radar traces, you know, they're skimming our reality, just as paranormal phenomena can do. We see the same aspects either side in regarding, um, you know, night visitations, bedroom visitations by, if it's a paranormal, it's a dark shadow in the corner. We, people often report suffering from paralysis. Uh, on other occasions, when the UFO side, it's small grey beings in the corner of the room, and again, you wake up and it's paralysis. The, you know, the, there are so, so many things which are identifiable here that we have to say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, these things are connected. Um, and now, once we have to start looking at, well, okay, if we're dealing with just a phenomena which can present itself in so many different ways, what is it? You know, and uh, we know that, you know, it can be quite deceptive and they like to play tricks. They play tricks in the paranormal field. I've dealt with that many a times, you know, uh, especially when it's conversing or things like around the sales table and communications. Um, and yet again, we see the same form of deception in the UFO phenomena, you know, being told, oh, they come from here and this is what we're doing and da, 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 um, So really, it's um, what's interesting is that after spending so much research in, pro, in, in specialized projects, one of which is known as Project Doorway, which I've been working on for the last five years with a, my colleague. Now, my colleague who works with me is Barry Fitzgerald, who was the lead investigator for Ghost Hunters International. A lot of you guys will know that. And, um, you know, myself and Barry came, got together and realized, you know, 
there's so much more going on than meets the eye here. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to take it one step further to try and find some answers because it's so bloody frustrating. You know, we just keep doing, going round and round doing the same things. And don't get me wrong, it's fascinating. But it's not really getting us forward as to, you know, where's the answers? What are we finding out here? Where's it coming from? How does it interact with us? And um, we decided to put a project together. And we've been working on this project now for about five years. And we found some remarkable things about the, the connectivity, not only with the paranormal and UFOs, but some of the cryptid stuff as well. You know, some of the, I'm not, too sure, not, not, I'm not sort of saying the, um, you know, the possible living, breathing creatures that might live out there in regions that man's never stood. You know, I'm, I'm talking about incidents where people are seeing werewolves and dogmen and, you know, just 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 things that just don't add up. Some of these things have a UFO connection. Some of these things are paranormal attributes. Um, and it seems like there's a phenomenon that's responsible for that. So um, we're trying to venture forward and give, you know, bring new areas of research because we do really need to do that. We need to take some steps forward and try to figure out what the hell's going on. Well, you know, I've always thought about, like EVPs, for instance, you know, why, it always seems that when you get an EVP, unless it's a Class A, it's always off in the distance. It's always like, off, you know, it's always a different tone. It's always like something underwater. You know, it's always metallic-y sounding or something. And that's, I've always thought about the, the interdimensional thing with that. Well, the biggest problem is that people think is from our experiments, from what we know now from... Uh, uh, from specialized experiments that have been carried out is um, we can receive EVP pretty much anywhere. You don't need to be in a haunted location. But the biggest problem is the reverse of that, and that is that when people obtain an EVP in a building which is perceived to be haunted, they think that the EVP is connected to that environment. And, in fact, sometimes it isn't. We were having communications, um, um, a female, communications through instrumental transcommunication at a, a particular location which was thought to be haunted the communications came through and we asked you know whereabouts are you thinking it's going to be we're in the same room as you or in the same house as you turned out you know it wasn't even in the same country you know we were obtaining information i mean this is if they're being you know authentic but we were being told that they were at a specific location uh, not even in the same country as us, and yet we were receiving information from them. Uh, so that really was problematic because now we have to ask the question, just because you get an EVP doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from that location. Oh, yeah. sometimes it is. Sometimes it might not be. But one of the most fascinating things that occurred for us is, is those communications that don't happen very often where they are very close up to the recording devices. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, What's good for us is that Olympus, we were using Olympus recorders, and Olympus was sponsoring us at the time. So we had the tech guys who manufacture Olympus recording devices, which are some of the best in the world. And um, and uh, and what was good is that they're there, you know, and we can ask them questions. How can that be? Um, we know that the Olympus devices are designed to record human vocals, you know, from 24 hertz to 24,000. Um, and... Um, why should it record people's or why should it record things in, in the infrasonic or you know because they're not designed to do so and uh, the machines shouldn't do that uh, sometimes 
um, we reach to the point of direct voice phenomena, which, funny enough, is always above you. It's right. never always above you. Even if you stand up, you're above you. If you sit down, it's above you. You know, um, but those direct voice phenomena were clear, very, very clear, as if the what party was in the room with us. Some of the recordings that we did get uh, uh, recorded were as if they were right there next to the recording devices. Some of those tests involved us putting those Olympus recorders inside a jar, a glass jar, mm -hmm. and we got recordings on it. Now, what was really interesting is that the recordings captured sounded like the voice was in the jar with the device because it sounded like it had a peg on its nose like this. And that was the effect of the sound being inside this, this glass jar. So the voice seemed to emanate from inside the glass jar with the recording device. But probably the most significant discovery we've made, um, which will help us in the paranormal field, um, is something referred to as transference. And um, this direct transference phenomena is quite fascinating. We had, for an example, three recording devices and they're all the same, all been checked by Olympus, and they're all running for a short period of time. And in that environment, we, we got recordings on two of them, and one of them, nothing. But even the nothing is interesting if you're getting recordings on the other two. On the first device, we had a female voice, absolutely very clear. On the second device, we had a male voice, very clear. And on the third device, we just had pops and clicks. But they're all recorded in an environment that is, there's no sound. We're, 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 this is perfectly, perfectly silent. And yet three devices, all the same, running and recording in that environment at the same speed, at the same time, recorded three different things. So what we realized very quickly is that what's actually happening here is that the phenomena is placing, is directly placing the information onto the recorders. It's not physically, environmentally, because we don't hear it. Our ears don't hear it. So it's not human vocal sounds. Otherwise, if it was, we, our ears are designed to hear it. Right. But yet, the recorders capture it. So they must be directly placing the phenomena onto these recorders. Then we realized on one or two occasions that we were hearing what we thought was direct voice phenomena. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the recording devices which were running didn't record it. We heard it. The recorders didn't get it. Now, when that happens, that's direct transference. It's direct transference to hear. Mm -hmm. Now, if we there is something referred to now as the cochlear device, and it's for people that have hearing problems. They're born deaf or problems with hearing. And what it does is, it, if that's on the side of the head here, and there's a little probe that goes in, it's a, a small operation, and it bypasses the ear. And what it does is it come, it gets that information out of the air from vibration from, say, people talking, and it converts it into signal into the brain. And the brain, the back of the ear, vibrates and picks that information up and converts it into language. Because what's happening, how we hear sounds through the ear canal, once you get behind the eardrum, there's a channel. And it's full of hairs and liquid. And with the certain types of vibration, the brain knows to interpret it into signals which are interpreted into language or sounds. So it's done artificially. We believe the phenomenon is doing the same thing because if it's not harmonic, 
It's not going down our ears. Our eardrums aren't vibrating. It's beyond that. It's behind. It's as if they're doing the same thing. So people can hear voices. And it's coming from, it's like we're the instrument then. They transfer it to us. They can transfer it to recorders, transfer it to us. And we said, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Did you just say something? And they said, no, no. But did you hear something? Yes, yes. Don't tell me. Write it down. So we wrote it down. We both heard the same thing. There were cameras around us didn't get anything. The recording cameras, the recording devices, absolutely nothing. And yet we heard it. So that was directly placed to us. So now we know that we have this phenomena, which is, has, has this direct method of transference to the individual by basically passing the eardrum and we also know that they target in the equipment as well so this new method of research allows us to understand about some of the phenomena and how these harmonics and audios are actually captured that's fa absolutely fascinating it's very interesting very interesting i'm gonna have to try that out in the field i just learned, see it's great that's why i like this show i learn new things the thing that I've noticed, and I try to explain this to my investigators because it frustrates me, is I have uh, I have a penchant for Sony recorders. Always have. But I have like four, four of them. I'll tape them onto a wall, you know, in front of a camera. Because, I mean, the ghosts are going to talk whether you're in the room or not. If yeah. there, you know. Yeah. So what I get frustrated with is because I have my recorders, they won't bring in theirs. Right. You sit there and you try to explain to them, not every recorder is going to pick up. No. The voices. It takes different recorders. Yeah. It also takes different people sometimes because we yeah. found that. I've noticed know, that too. There's certain people that can get really good EVPs and then there's yeah. certain people that can't. Just like, just like photographs. Same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the resonance of those individuals. The human body resonates at certain. You know, we all resonate different, um, you know, slightly differently. So we believe those people which are catalyst focused, those type of things. Some of these people are exceptional. And get in. I mean, we have a, a gentleman we know, we use, who's very good. He's he's from Seattle. Uh, he's living in Seattle now, and his name's Don Phillips, and he's always been. He went through the parapsychology units. He was confirmed. He has an incredible abilities when it comes to recording um, EVPs or instrumental transcommunication, and uh, he's got a gift for it. We can't explain it. You know, it's just profound. But um, nobody. Um, gets as good as a result that he does when it's in his hands. Uh, many people at the time when we did our, our television show were rushing out to, to try and buy a particular Olympus recorder because he thought that's the one that captures it. But right. well, they kept going back to him and it's no better than the ones that they've used before. And I said, well, it's not about that. It's about whose hands it's in. Mm -hmm. And of course, when it was in Don's hand, it, it, was, uh, it was exceptional. You know, people thought that everybody was going to get that. But no, some people you actually, actually uh, the, some of these people uh, have an incredible ability to be able to capture more than others. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, that, I've had that happen on my team. You know, uh, like I had one gal that she's gonna if anything's gonna be captured on on, on camera, she's the one to give the camera to. Mm, there's, uh, you know, there are a number of different things that we find. You know, as we talk, I mean, for instance, poltergeist phenomena. I mean, though, you know, we understand that how rare that phenomena is. Right. You know, you, you go on YouTube, everyone's got a poltergeist these days. Um, but, you know, spending 40 years, I've done six. I mean, there are little, little bits and bobs now and again, but, I mean, I would say six, I can absolutely say for sure, was an, was an infestation from poltergeist. Uh, and that just demonstrates how rare, you know, true poltergeist infestations right. are. Right. 
And um, what we realized was is that when objects move, that sometimes is a displacement effect, a mechanism that's responsible. And what we started to do, we never realized, but what we started to do was to measure how far an object was from its resting place to its, to its discovery. And we started to see similar figures come up time and time again. Um, uh, for instance, a mug, um, a mug moved in the kitchen across the top. Oh. We measured it. It was like 43.38 inches. Mm -hmm. You know, then, a, then a, a plant moved across a, a particular part of the house. We measured it. It was 48.38 inches. And it, we were thinking to ourselves, there's a mechanism at play here. There's, a, there's something. And this is what opened up the doorway to what we, what we refer to as the research paranormal mechanics. Because there's a mechanics to it. There's an intelligence, there's a mechanics. It does things at certain th ways that leads you to believe, okay, there's a mechanism at play. Those reoccurring figures was one of those things. Um, and when we had apportations taking place, we had um, a mug which was sat in the kitchen and uh, uh, with a drink in, and it, it just disappeared. It just gone. And we was not discovered, rediscovered till about 96 minutes later. And it was in the middle of a room on the floor where people had been walking all night. You know, there was no way you could miss this thing. But right. there it was. Though like, it was about 12 degrees warmer on Discovery, you know. And what we had the opportunity to do was because the, the owner of the home had bought a set of those four mugs together at Christmas prior. So she had identical mugs which weren't the apported mug. So we asked if we could take two of them away for analysis. So we took the apported mug away and we took the other, the normal mug away and um, we analysed them. We, we crushed them up and we applied three different layers of atomic uh, microscopy under the microscope. And it was remarkable. The computer system was saying to us, that the apported mug, though that they both look the same, they feel the same, same weight, 3.19 grams, but the computer system under analysis was the same, that it would it didn't identify the apported mug as being the one it left. So we have to question, well, is it even the same mug? You know, it might everything about it looks and feels the same, but is it really? Is it or is it a mimic? I just don't know. Or is it strangely altered through the process of materialization and dematerialization? Mm -hmm. But what we discovered was, which was really interesting, is that there's a very, very profound diathermic reaction in the apported mug, which you, which you don't see in the normal mug. And we'd seen this diathermic reaction somewhere else. I mean, we're trying to think, where have we seen this? So we're looking through all the paranormal files and cases that we've done over the years. We couldn't find it. And then one day I just had a light bulb moment. I thought, do you know what? Let's let's look at a UFO file system. So we did. And there it was. We, we remembered getting out this file. And what happened was it was an incident some years ago. And a UFO was suddenly appeared, just suddenly appeared right next to the ground uh, in a flash of light. Mm -hmm. And it seemingly affected the plant growth. It was only about se several inches off the ground, affected the plants. Now, Afterwards, that incident, scientists turned up and they took samples of the plants because they didn't look right. Something was wrong with them. Mm -hmm. So took them away. And this is what we refer to as a plant biological traumatology test. And in there, 
they found exactly the same diathermic reactions. So here's the big one. Is the manifestation of a mug just suddenly appearing and the manifestation of a UFO just suddenly appearing mm -hmm. using the very same physics? Now, if they're using the same physics, that's a key. That's a key thing to suggest. There's definitely a connection between the two. There's right. definitely to be something. Now, listen, now, when you talk about poltergeist cases, I mean, the ones that I've, I've run into is there's there's turmoil going on in the family. You know, there's arguments going on. And there's this one family member that is, is, is projecting the activity without realizing it. But th there's different type of poltergeist activity, right? Well, well, they do vary, but the thing is, is that the, the problem is, is that some people have got the information wrong. If we, for instance, go back in time, the earliest documentation of analysis and investigation, especially here in the UK, would be from the, the, from the uh, Society of Psychical Research, because mm -hmm. it's really so old. But the thing is, they've written it in stone that it was, you know, a catalyst or focus was responsible. It's uncontrolled forms of PK. Mm -hmm. but you know what? This, they got it wrong. Because it's not written in stone. I mean, I've done in cases, one of those cases that I did, I, I removed the family from the location completely for three days. And yet the poltergeist disturbances still carried on in the environment. So it's not written in stone. People are going to have those various cases where you remove the focus, you know, or you think you're removing the focus. And in fact, it does no different. You know, the phenomenon can still be tied to the location. Um, so it's not written in stone. Unfortunately, lots of people think it is. But mm -hmm. that's what gives us those variations in poltergeist phenomena. No, it's not always the same. So I guess it's just a case of going in and really, really researching the, the location and talking you know, talking to the people that are there to get a feel yeah. for what's going on. You have to do, you know, I think the best thing to do is, is run your experiments. Um, and just have a blank start off with a blank page and just say it as it is. Don't conform to other people's ideas of terminology and putting them into boxes that they've created. Because some of these guys have got it wrong in the past. And we've been forced to put it in different things because there was nothing suitable. Say it for what it is. Uh, and if incidents are happening when the family's not home, then, okay, let you know, that's a situation where it doesn't fall under the normal characteristics and you have to report it for what it is. Um, that's the problem that we have now because people think, well, you know, these, these science guys must have said, oh, well, must have done a lot of work and they must be right, so therefore we've got to force it into that box. Mm -hmm. And in fact, no, we don't, because some of these science guys have got it wrong. Isn't science like that anyway? I mean, even in, in normal reality, I mean, the stuff that they discovered are bad for you. Lots of different things. We come yeah. across things all the time. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things that they often say is put it down as fact. Yeah. You know, and it, and it isn't, you know, and they haven't done enough work and they haven't done enough research to even conclude. I've asked science guys that have concluded on paranormal investigations and I've asked them, have you ever been on one? They said, yeah. no, no, they haven't. I said, how the hell do you conclude on some significant data regarding paranormal research when you've not been involved actively in the field? Mm -hmm. And they just, they just look at me and say, well, you can't, you can't do it. You have to experience it. And don't don't tell me that you got you know just because it doesn't happen in the in a scientific laboratory that it doesn't exist because sometimes it's like investigating the Arctic fox. You take the Arctic fox into a scientific lab, it's not going to do, it's not going to act the way you expect it to. Okay. You have you have to film it in its environment. You have to go out to this phenomena 
because phenomenon is present in those locations. You can't expect to drag it and take it there. And if it doesn't happen at six o'clock, then no, it doesn't happen. You know, it's just, you don't, you know, the, the whole method of them concluding on paranormal phenomena, these scientific establishments, is way out the window. They need to be doing it more in the field, to be honest with you. Absolutely. The other thing I was thinking to you, you mentioned cryptids earlier. And like all the what you say makes sense that there that there is a possible connection to what's going on with UFO phenomena because I mean there's so many reports of like people that have been tracking Sasquatch and the footsteps just disappear. The footprints exactly. Yeah, um, even many cases of supporting that uh, the Sasquatch Bigfoot whatever these things are mm-hmm. are somehow on many occasions metaphysical, just mm-hmm. like paranormal or ufological factors. Um, there are many cases where people report what is referred to in the UK as the Oz factor. And this is when suddenly there's a, you step into a location where there's just dead silence. Right. It's eerie. It's, it's a predecessor to the phenomena, to you experiencing that phenomenon. It happens in the UFO cases. Suddenly, everything goes quiet. The insects, the birds, everything. There's infrasonics happening, you see. There's infrasound. We can't hear it. But the, the, the insects and birds and things around can, and they just fall silent because of thinking it's a predator. But those incidents are also the same thing. With ufological and cryptids, we've had people reporting sulfur smells during mm-hmm. uh, cryptid sightings. And on many occasions, a lot of these cryptids, especially the um, those referred to as dogmen type incidents, um, and it's an interesting, interesting uh, incidents take, which have taken place in, in sort of uh, Ohio and places like that, where people see these things and all they want to do is generate fear. You know, these are big creatures, they look predatory, they look like they're going to tear you apart, they'll, they'll chase you and chase you and chase you. But should you fall over and this thing gets to you, it's not going to attack you. It doesn't play into you. It doesn't, it seemingly, they don't know what to do. It's like, ah, and then they think, right, uh, uh, what do I do now? And then you just run off. It's seemingly all to do with this fear generation. Don't we get that in the poltergeist phenomenon? It's all about generating vexation and fear. You know, and this is what leads us to believe is, again, more connections between some of this phenomenon. And then one minute they're there, the next minute they're gone. Sometimes people will hear them right next to them as if walking around and bushes moving. But fit, but they can't see them they're as if they're invisible. Right. And and though, when you put all these data together, it suggests there's a source responsible, and it seems to the mask of this phenomena changes, but the phenomena never changes. The phenomena stays the same, but the mask changes over time and in different locations. And that's what's really interesting is because you can see the connections between these various phenomena. So why are we dealing with them with various phenomena? It should be put it all in one pot. I tear all the walls down. I call it phenomenology mm-hmm. because sometimes you're going to get a bit of this, a bit of this, and a bit of this. And that makes a picture under phenomenology rather than I have to go to the paranormal guys for this. You know, tear the walls down. We need to be cooperating, working together, getting some of those answers. But, yeah, absolutely, there's, there's plenty of evidence now to support that these things definitely have a very strong connection. Well, I always wonder, too, because if they're doing tests on us, like they have been all this time, what if these things that we're seeing were tests gone wrong and that's why they're here? You know, they, they just drop them down and 
that's it. That's that's why that's that's why you don't see a lot of them. But they're you, you know what I mean. They're there, and it's just mistakes that they made playing around with our DNA. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's lots of things that have been taking place. I mean, what we have discovered is that there are key locations um, around this planet which are referred to as positive magnetic regions. And not only that, but the high amount of gravitational anomalies that do take place there. These locations are what you might refer to as those troubled locations, the hotspots. Um, you might get some, I mean, if you take, for instance, Skinwalker Ranch, it's, it's on a positive magnetic region with gravitational disturbances, but not just there. There's countless places all over the world. But when you look at these places, you're surprised. If you have, what we do is we bring an, an overlay, a clear overlay, and we mark all the paranormal things on it. And then we apply another overlay, and we, we put all the UFO ones. And then we take that away and do one for the cryptids. And you know what's really interesting is that when you start to overlay them all and look, they're all in the same areas. It seems that the, the people that are reporting most of the paranormal, most of the cryptids, most of the UFO stuff, are in key locations where these magnetic anomalies are. And not only that, but also very, very strange and profound disappearances are also taking place in those locations. So something is definitely strange and going on. And we've been to some of these locations because we mapped it out, we worked it throughout that the project that we were working on. Um, we went to those places, we traveled the world, went to those places, we witnessed phenomena firsthand. And um, we documented it and recorded these things. Uh, and we also realized that we're not the only ones that know because we found documentation uh, from the US government looking into these magnetic anomalies in association with not only UFO phenomena, which are determined UAP now, but also the paranormal stuff. They were interested in this back in 1982. Uh, so we're just, uh, they're, they're, they're hot on the heels. They're well ahead of us. But um, we are starting to paint a picture now that there's more going on than what, we, what meets the eye here. Now, when you say mag magnetic phenomena, that makes me think about like looking at these areas and lo looking what's underneath the ground. Because I mean, if you've got what if you've got granite down there and there's water flowing underneath, you're going to get a lot of high EMF, and that would mean like with the reports of like these 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 UFOs and car engines dying and all that going on, that they're that are in these areas because there's power, you know, they're, 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 there's energy they can get. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's lots of documentation. Uh, we've got ourselves film footage of UFOs going into the ground, going into volcanoes, into hillsides. Now, the, you know, we, we're dealing with a metaphysical phenomena here that doesn't seem to interact with the physical surroundings sometimes. Isn't that just like an apparition going through a wall, you know? Or isn't it just the same as being um, people being abducted and said that we took me through the window, they took me through the roof? You know, it, this meta shifting in metaphysical phenomena allows us to phase simply out, slightly out of our reality and into theirs. And on many occasions, sometimes they just they just bridge our reality. So in other words, we are seeing the phenomena, but it's not being picked up on radar because it's just phasing our reality. It's just as if to just take a step in. You know, that's, that's what seemingly we are pushing for now. That this phenomena uh, represents itself in a very in an interdimensional way, very much, um, and we are starting to sort of push down that road and figuring things out. We know on many occasions 
um, in ancient day in ancient days our ancestors were aware of this um, they, they designed certain ancient buildings to resonate at certain frequencies also to be aligned with the setting or the rising sun not because of seasonal they planting but because terahertz frequency comes from the sun at rising and, and setting and enters into those chambers now those people were, what they were doing was is going into those resonant chambers producing an arm to to resonate the chamber and at the same time waiting on the terahertz frequency to flood the chamber and they would be sat central this is what is referred to as kind of a double locked system. And what happens is it allows them for those for a duration of time to converse with the deities or the entities or the jinn or whatever you want to call these things. They've got lots of different names, but it allows them to communicate with what they refer to as the gods or whatever. Um, that process in itself has strong connections to the modern UFO phenomena. The light phenomena around UFOs, when they give off light, seems to be a lot of them in the terahertz frequency range. Same thing happens at Hasdalen in Norway. These strange lights are seen, but some of them are more than just strange lights. And again, they, they're like miniature suns. You know, They have terahertz frequency to them. So we're finding more and more out the more we press, the more we research, to the point where we are finding key locations where this phenomena is just so active. It's been going on for many, many years. Uh, the problem is, is that, you know, um, a lot of researchers get a bit mixed up because they try and think, they try and keep the UFOs in the UFO box and the paranormal in the paranormal box, but really it's all kind of one great big mess. The people that investigated Skinwalker Ranch years ago, which was Robert Bigelow and his team known as NIDS, um, they, got, they, they interacted with the paranormal phenomena so much to the point where they wished they hadn't because it well, it followed them back. It had the hitchhiker type phenomena. It followed them back. Uh, Robert Bigelow had a terrible, terrible years after having those, you know, doing those experiments at Skinwalker. And so did three other NID um, you know, um, investigators had the same thing. The phenomena tracked back home to them and affect, negatively affect them and their, their lives. So yes, sometimes this phenomena has a sting in its tail. You also have to be very careful because you're dealing with deception. I mean, during our experiments of seances and things like that, it took us a long time to build up a process of communication with these entities. And eventually what happened was we were allowed to ask questions. Now, I've always went, wow, ask spiritual questions. Are they going to give us answers, whatever these things are? And I thought, well, I bought, that's easy. I, I can throw 10 questions down very easily. But when it came to the night, when I knew I was going to get answers, I thought to myself, do I really want them? How many answers do I really want to know? You know, do I really want to know? That's the question. Anyway, prior to us answering the question, all of a sudden they had this direct voice phenomena and it went boom, 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 boom. And it delivered all 10 answers before we even, before we even questioned out before we ever said anything about the questions, they already knew from us. So when we're sat around a seance table or whatever we're doing, they already know what's in our minds. They already can tell us stuff. And that's the problem because they can be your uncle and they can be your auntie because they know what you're thinking. You know, you know when you're from your own mind, 
how, who they were, how they lived their lives. They can be feed that information back to you. And you can go, how sincere this must be. I must be talking to my aunt or I must be talking to my uncle. And this is where that deception lies. And it's very, very problematic. What we do know is that sometimes we get truths because we were told we were going to go to Keith Linder's house 18 months prior to going. And, um, and, I, and they said, you will find yourselves in 18 months in Seattle. And I looked over at Don and I said, that's ridiculous. I'm, I don't know anybody in Seattle. I have no reason to go to Seattle. Why would I go to Seattle? And 18 months later, I was there. So we know that they can look into the future at least, at least 18 months. Uh, so it's very problematic as to who we're dealing with and how sincere they are. How, you know, are they being deceptive? How much is true? How much isn't? It's very, very problematic. See, I was thinking that myself too, in that, as far as as far as the alien beings go, you know, I can see them like with the apparitions people are seeing. You know, I don't take anything away from seeing grandma or whatever, but I could see them like coming to people it with these masks on. Because yes. why not? Come study the people. You look like their grandmother. They're not going to be afraid of you. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's a point. I mean, I'm sure people do have authentic uh, spiritual communications right. with with parties that are past. Absolutely. Right. But don't forget, there's also a phenomenon that can mimic that, mm -hmm. you know. And the best way, and I keep saying to all, to all investigators out there of the paranormal field, is to rely not on this, is to rely on this. Right. And what I say is, is that if you're out in the field, what I tend to do is I starve myself for, um, for, for three days of refined sugar. I just started that. Now, we find sugars, you know, don't get me wrong, it's very nice and it tastes lovely and it's very addictive, but it causes adrenal weakness. Mm -hmm. And what happens is it's disconnecting our fight or flight. Now, I learned this from, my, from Barry. Barry Fitzgerald told me about this. He was, he was bang on, absolutely bang on. You know, he was telling me about how this affects. So I realized once I stopped taking refined sugar, because what do guys do on when they go out paranormal investigating or sky watching or for UFOs, well, they take the candy bars with them and they take Coca-Cola with them and all these things. And it's just so much sugar. It's disconnecting the fight or flight. So when there is something untoward happening, you don't get that where your hair stand up on end, your mm -hmm. goosebumps. That's your body reacting. That's your skin. It's the biggest organ on your body. It's a survival sense. It's saying, just because I don't hear it, just because I can't see it, doesn't mean it's not there and your body's telling you i don't like it something's here get the hell out we need to rely on that which is coming from us so i'd say to anybody just try it because once you do that you'd be really really surprised how how great your body reacts and it tells you information and if it starts to react like that then you start to take a step away from the phenomenon because you know, not everything is great mm -hmm. if, if it's seemingly all right then fine you know see how far you can go with regarding interaction but there is a you know like i say nobody knows what type of phenomenon they're going to experience could right. be bad we hear good things we hear, bad, we hear bad things but there is a way of protecting ourselves to some degree and it does work you know and that's what i keep saying to people is you know don't think about it it's it's here it's, it's important you know and uh, and rely on your own survival sense because that adrenal weakness disconnects your fight or flight response, so it's not active properly. It's not working properly. So you've got people walking towards phenomena when really they should be stepping back, and that's the that's the biggest problem that we have. 
Absolutely. This hour has blown by, and I have enjoyed every second of it. Thank you very much. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I love talking to to to, to people that have been in the field for a long time. I love to pick. I love picking brains. In fact, one of the techniques I learned real quick was to put. Um, in, in some cases, I've seen investigators take their digital voice recorders, put put them in baggies, and then put them in water. Yeah, we've done it ourselves and recorded. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We buried them, put them underwater, wrapped them, wrapped them with foil to stop any Faraday stuff. Mm. It doesn't matter. They can target. They target the equipment. It doesn't matter what you put them in. Fascinating. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on. I would love to have you on again to pick your brain some more. I would love it. I just I just thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you, Sean. And, and, and uh, yes, I'll be glad to come back to keep in touch and, uh, and let me know. All right. All right. Uh, where, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at stevemera.com, um, um, which is my just name. Or we do have a, a monthly magazine. It goes out for free, which is phenomenamagazine.co.uk. Uh, but I would say to generally people, you know what, if you want to find out about what the stuff we're doing, uh, just Google Steve Mera or, or just go onto YouTube and look up Steve Mera. I'm, I'm, I'm always out there doing so many different things. Uh, I'm sure people will find me. All right, sir. Well, thank you very much, and have a good rest of your evening. Thank you very much, and guys, keep do keep in touch. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, sir. Thank you. Have a nice night. Bye bye. All right, that was great, and I, I've admired him for years. I, you know, a lot of young people don't like to take advice of of, of, of the people that have been around for a while, but I do. I just take it all in, you know, and, and I'm, like, I'm like a sponge. And I, a lot of this technique he's talking about today, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out with my own team. That's just how, how I am. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming. I know we usually don't do a, hang on, let me my mic a little bit. We usually don't do a show during the day, but uh, it's kind of nice to break up the monotony. Tomorrow we'll be back on at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, like we like normal. And we have, how would you like to have a job where you go to work, you're dealing with horrific things all day, but then you go home, and some of the victims of those horrific things Come into your bedroom while you're sleeping. Or you see them on your stairwell. My guest tomorrow, Donna Frankard, spent nine years, almost nine years, as an assistant, I mean, as deputy coroner. And she has some stories to tell. So she'll be with us tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. But I want to thank you guys for coming. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Um, again, if you're watching from YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. The more subscribers we get, the better things are. It's good for you, too, because you'll be alerted to when these shows come out. If you're watching from Facebook, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from Twitch, please hit that follow button. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for joining us. Um, sometimes people have trouble. Let me move this a little bit. I think this is too tinty if I go off the top. Sometimes people have trouble finding our YouTube page. The best way to do that is CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And then any video on there will take you to the YouTube page. Okay? Um, you see that ticker running along the bottom? That's because we, are no, we act as a nonprofit. We don't take anybody to investigate. And for the radio show and all that. So everything comes out of my pocket. So if you can find it in your heart to help us out a little bit, you know, help pay the bills a little bit, that would be great. And that's at paypal.me.californiahaunts. 
or at California Haunts. I'm sorry, PayPal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo. And then just type in California Haunts. But I really appreciate it. Anyway, before we close out today, I'm going to go ahead and show you his contact information. And he does have several books out, and I'll read those off for you. So here we go. Websites, stevemira.com, zoharmanagement.com, phenomenamagazine.co.uk, The Paranormal Investigator's Handbook, The A to Z of the Unknown, House of Fire and Whispers, The Seattle Demon House, The Rochdale Poltergeist, Paranormal Insight, Strange Happenings, and a fifth uh, <laughs> book I can't read. UI, I believe it's uh, UITC. And those books are available at Amazon, so you can check them all out. And they're also available on his main website, stevemira.com. Anyway, I want to thank you guys again for coming tonight. tonight, Today, well, for you guys over in England, it's tonight. But I want to thank you guys for coming. And uh, I really appreciate your following us and, and checking us out and whatnot for the new people. Anyway, thank you, and I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific.